right, well, we are in our seventh week of this series on what we value, and I have this opportunity as to introduce uh, our preacher for today, but just even framing this a little bit, thinking about how we have been thinking about everything that we value as a church, well, I should say 12 of the core things that we value as a church, but that we value truth, and then we value that grace, the truth of God's grace for us. We value people. We value passion. We value team, that we're all in this together. And we value joy. We have joy in the Lord that strengthens us. And today, as we get into how we value generosity, of how our life is a life of generosity that includes giving here at church, but it is so much more than that to have a life of generosity. And even as we consider how being generous fuels all of these other values that we have. And so I'm excited for this, and I'm excited to introduce Bob Shank to you, who is not a guest speaker today because he is definitely a part of our church. He, um, you might know about the master's program that he founded and leads, Priority Living, so many other areas of great, great ministry. Um, he has been, I think he was the youngest elder maybe of all, of like all time here at Calvary Church. He preached, he's preached here many, many, many times. He's preached in Samswick Chapel before it was Samzik was the name of the chapel. It was the man still the pastor of the church in the chapel. And so uh, just a, it's a real privilege to have him. He's a great, great mentor to me and uh, just a love and appreciate him. This is his wheelhouse. This is something that he is great at communicating. But really more than that, the reason I wanted to have Bob to be able to preach on this is because he lives it. He genuinely lives this out. So I'm excited for you to hear from him. We give a real warm, warm welcome to Bob Shank. Thanks, Cal. Good morning. And good morning to the folks that are joining us on any of the digital platforms. Um, great to be together in whatever manner that we can do that. I came to Calvary Church 53 years ago. I was in high school. I got my driver's license. My family church was a church whose theology I didn't agree with. And so uh, I left that church and came to Calvary when I was in high school. John Sherman and I uh, were young bucks about the same time. From campus ministry at Santa Ana High School, I knew a bunch of, of the young men and women who were part of Calvary Church, and I came and found a home here, and I've been here ever since. Well, sort of. I, I left for four years to pastor a church, big church down in the Newport, Irvine area, and it made it really tough to get here on the weekends because I had to work. But when I finished that assignment, our family returned to Calvary Church, been here ever since. Eric mentioned I was elected to the elder board the month after Mike Samsvig died. So I've been here through a, a fair amount of Calvary's history. While I was pastoring, the church that I pastored had a Saturday night and three Sunday morning services. And frankly, from the standpoint of the folks who um, make services happen, it was a great place. We had a live um, 
rehearsal on Saturday nights that a bunch of people came to sit in on. And then by Sunday morning, we sort of knew what we were going to do, and we did it. Calvary's a little more challenging these days. You get one shot. So uh, this is both the rehearsal and the final act. May it go well. One nice thing about being family and not part of the staff, uh, you have to know this. They are meticulous about planning the morning, minute by minute by minute by minute by minute. And um, I'm so delighted that, that they've made those plans. I plan to finish when I'm finished. My declaration of rebellion has been issued. <clears throat> I want to ask you to pray again with me for this reason. According to the Lord Jesus, the battle for our hearts is between God and mammon. The spirit of God and the spirit of money are at odds and at war in our lives. And because of that, this is not just a... Uh, a routine subject that we're going to touch on today. It is where the battle is underway today. I know that some folks, when they come into church and hear that money will be a subject that they're addressing, they immediately move into a defensive posture to say, well, all they want's my money. No. It's God, not us. And what God wants is His money, so any money that's yours, go ahead and do with it as you choose. But if you believe that God owns it all, it warrants some attention on our part to get clear. Would you pray with me? God, I pray that the Holy Spirit will have free reign in this room, in our hearts today. What we're talking about is not incidental, it is essential. What we're addressing today is the spirit of the age. What we're addressing today is the subject that for American Christians is the win or lose subject. You have made the American church in this generation the storehouse for your resources to fund the worldwide effort of your kingdom. The enemy has us in his crosshairs. God, I pray your protection, our openness, and the power of your Holy Spirit to speak truth into our lives and to call for response in Jesus' great name. Amen. If you're following along in the uh, booklet that has framed this series, we're on page 22, and um, we're going to work from there. I want to I reiterate from the top of that value statement where we're coming from today. What does it mean that Calvary Church is defined with a value of generosity? We give cheerfully as a wholehearted response of worship, seeking ways to invest our time, talent, and treasure. By the way, Barna just reported a survey that says that the people who give time give money. 
The people who don't, don't. There's a correlation between what we do in terms of active participation and what happens when offering time comes. In kingdom growing opportunities through God's provision, it is an act of gratitude, trust, and dependence on Him. The conversation today is about who we are in God's family. The first thing I want to recognize is that we are in conflict today because what we'll hear for 10,000 minutes of our week, the the 80 minutes or so that we're on campus, those are God moments, but the 10,000 minutes apart from that every week, culture has a message. Jesus said, don't store up for yourselves treasures on earth where moth and vermin destroy, where thieves break in and steal, but store up for yourselves treasures in heaven where moths and vermin do not destroy, where thieves do not break in and steal. Why? For where your treasure is, there your heart will be also. Friends, know this. There is nothing closer to the reality of who we are than what we do with our money. And today is at the vital core of your Christian experience. Some key points I want us to get our arms around today. Here's the first of them. The heart of God is proven by His generosity. Probably the most um, often memorized and repeated verses of the whole Bible is from Jesus' conversation with a highly religious man, Nicodemus, who, though he had all of the credentials with regard to religion, had not a clue about what was real. He had been overwhelmed by his religious identity, and he didn't have a relationship with God. Jesus said, for God so loved the world that he gave his one and only Son, that whoever believes in him shall not perish but have eternal life, Get this, God loved the world. We'd be prone perhaps to put the period in the sentence there, but God doesn't put a period there. Here's why. Love without action is irrelevant and frankly, bogus. Here's God who is the source of all life, and he looks at the world that he created the human race that was so close to his heart, and the entire human race from the fall of in in the garden to the moment when Jesus expressed these words, the entire human race was born dead spiritually. That wasn't just an observation of a uh, creative genius on God's part gone wrong. It was a recognition that what God loved the world needed action on his part. God so loved that he gave. Friends, the heart of God is proven by his generosity. Now get this, the heart of God's people is proven by their generosity. Our Christian experience is to become sons and daughters of the Most High God and then to become like him in the way we live that his life being lived through us allows people to see who God is 
and how he's different and why he's desirable. The world that can't see God can see us. What do they see when they see us? Well, Psalm 37 says, The wicked borrow and don't repay, but the righteous give generously. Those the Lord blesses will inherit the land, but those he curses will be destroyed. And then later in the passage, I was young and now I'm old, yet I've never seen the righteous forsaken or their children baking bread. They are always generous and lend freely. Their children will be a blessing. David's writing, and he's writing from the back end of his life, not from the front end of his life. His observations and experience inform his insight And then we know that it's the inside of God because inspired by the Holy Spirit, it became part of this uh, multi-generational across history record of truth. Get this, people who are outside of a relationship with God treat money very differently than people who are in a relationship with God. The wicked exercise greed. The godly exercise generosity. What do you call a Christian who doesn't exercise generosity? Someone who has a lot of ways to go in terms of becoming like God. Tragedy is that religion will promote us before our behavior does. That being around a while is misperceived to be maturity. May I say it this way? The person who prepares your taxes knows more about your righteousness than the people who see you at church. Do you hear what I just said? What you really do with money tells me how you really are doing with God. If generosity is not the most accurate and honest description of who you are, you have a distance to close between where you are and what it means to be godly. You say, well, that's a little firm. No, that's a little biblical. Here's a third thing I want us to really grasp. The transformation of the heart is progress toward generosity. Is God working in your heart? Are are you in process in terms of becoming more like Him? Is that the journey that you're on? Well, one way to determine the answer to that is to see how you're doing in this critical place. Now, this is a passage that is... In the final pages of the Old Testament, 39 books that tell us about what happened before Jesus came, and in those 39 books, the last of them is the great Mexican prophet, Malachi. (laughs) Got to get a little laugh in anywhere you can on this message. As Malachi wrote, it's interesting, the last of the New Testament is the book of Revelation, and the book of Revelation starts with a message to seven churches from Jesus. Malachi ends the Old Testament with a message on seven issues that God had, bones to pick, if you will, with his people, Israel. Seven areas where there was a a call out by God as to the shortfall of their relationship with him. Malachi wrote at a time when the Jews felt like God had abandoned them and they were blaming him And what Malachi was addressing was the fact that any distance you feel from God, don't blame him, blame you. 
The shortfall is never God's. The shortfall is always ours. Do you feel far from God? It isn't because he abandoned you. It's because you abandoned him. Now hear me. This is a passage that we've heard many times, and unfortunately, familiarity reduces its um, powerful sort of intrusion into our comfortable thinking. Some would disparage and say, well, that's Old Testament. That doesn't apply to me. Well, sorry, God opens with this statement. I, the Lord, do not change. There isn't an Old Testament God and a New Testament God. It is the God of creation, the God of history, the God who gave us glimpses of who he is, who we are, and the gulf to span between them, the Old Testament, and then the God who presents the ultimate answer in the New Testament with his son, the Lord Jesus. I, the Lord, do not change. So you, the descendants of Jacob, are not destroyed. What does that mean? I could have put an end to this a long time ago. If I was reactive, if I wanted to be justified but terminating, but I would have put an end to this a long time ago, but I haven't. But it doesn't mean, don't read the fact that I've delayed judgment to mean that I'm happy with you. Ever since the time of your ancestors, you've turned away from my decrees and have not kept them. Return to me, and I'll return to you, says the Lord Almighty. But you ask, how are we to return? Will a mere mortal rob God? Yet you rob me. But, but you ask, how are we robbing you? In tithes and offerings. You're under a curse, your whole nation, because you are robbing me. Bring the whole tithe into the storehouse that there may be food in my house. Test me in this, says the Lord Almighty, and see if I will not throw open the floodgates of heaven and pour out so much blessing that there will not be room enough to store it. I'll prevent pests from devouring your crops, and the vines in your fields will not drop their fruit before it's ripe, says the Lord Almighty. Then all the nations will call you blessed, for yours will be a delightful land, says the Lord Almighty. There's an intriguing statement that God makes in that passage. He says, if you'll get this part of your faith experience right, I'll open the windows of heaven and pour a blessing that you don't have capacity to either receive or um, retain. It's going to run through you like an overwhelming flow of blessing. He said, I'll open the floodgates of heaven. That term is only used one other place in the Bible, and it is in the, re- the historic reporting of the flood of Noah, when it says God opened the windows of heaven and the deluge followed. These Jews <clears throat> were um, familiar with the Old Testament and its record of their history. They, they understood when, when Malachi quoted God in saying he would open the floodgates of heaven, 
they understood what that meant. This was not just an average rain year. This wasn't just uh, the termination of a drought. This was instead a deluge that was unprecedented that no one would be able to explain through normal cosmological phenomenon. Greta Thunberg wouldn't have known what was happening, though she's the greatest mind in terms of climatological issues. Okay, nobody reads the paper. Anyway. <laughs> Friends, hear this. The heart of God is proven by His generosity. The heart of God's people is proven by their generosity. The transformation of the heart is progress toward generosity. How do we do that? Pictures tell a story. Um, how in the world can we cultivate, grow a godly heart? There are three steps here and two bridges. Here, here's the first. For the Jews that Malachi wrote to 2,400 years ago, and for American Christians today, the vast majority would find themselves categorized by the fact, relative money, we would find ourselves categorized in our experience as being stressed. Ever feel any stress with regard to money? Okay, three honest people. Um, it, it's pretty fascinating. Here's, according to nonprofit source, only 5% of church members give regularly. This is national. This is not Calvary. If, if we want to believe that we're different than the mean average, that's fine, but know where the mean average is. Households that make more than $75,000 are the least charitable. Nationwide, Christians today give 2.5% of their income. For comparison, during the Great Depression, that number was 3.3%. 37% of those who consider themselves evangelicals do not give to churches at all. According to a recent study from the University of Notre Dame, when it comes to giving away 10% of finances, only 2.7% of people, either religious or non-religious, fall into this category. Other studies confirm this dismal picture. Um, everything that is solicited with regard to survey confirms again that tragedy. Friends, let me just say to you that the most widespread act of disobedience toward God happens at the offering every week. The chronic shortfall that Christians in America have with regard to experiencing God's presence and power in their lives is charted in their checkbook, not in their devotional book. If you pray every day, but you don't give every week, God doesn't hear your prayers. I don't work here, so I don't need to be worried about how you feel about me. But I say to you that if God can be trusted, and if His Word is still true, the greatest indicator of how you and God are doing 
is found at the end of the year in your tax return. And from God's perspective, your stress is by your own inaction. Don't blame Him. If you're praying for relief from anxiety brought about by things that are in part or fully linked to your money, stop praying and start obeying because you are your own answer to prayer. And here's the haunting message of Malachi, looking down on American Christians who, by the way, today, 20 years ago, 40% of Americans said they were born again. Today, that number is 30%. Of the 30%, half say they don't go to church because they don't need it. The enemy wins in their life experience. For the half the 30% who are at church, the vast majority don't serve and don't give. And don't play games with saying, well, servers serve, givers give. You can buy your way out of volunteering. Actually, the numbers expose that fallacy. People who live to serve live to give. Are you stressed? Here's the big break from being stressed. It's to move from underperforming to performing. From I'll give from the back end if there is anything left over to I'll give from the front end the way God always commanded it. First fruits, 10%, from the gross, not the net. Stop playing games with God. There are no loopholes in his law. 10% from the total that you are given by God to manage on his behalf, the first 10% goes back to his kingdom. Now hear this, Calvary is a part of God's kingdom. Calvary is not all of God's kingdom. Your giving to God includes what you give to Calvary and what you give to other things that are serving his kingdom. But is it there? Are you, are, you, are you faithful? Does tithe define you? If it does, listen to me, you are in the dramatic minority of American Christians in this generation. But it doesn't end there. If you give according to God, and, and some would say, well, that's the law. Well, Congratulations, Einstein. Let's go on debate this together, and I will bury you. Let me tell you why. In Jesus' Sermon on the Mount, in front of highly uh, religious Jewish listeners, over and over again, he said, you've heard it said, don't commit murder. I say to you, if you even think about it when that person jets past you and that two lanes become one on the on-ramp to the 55 freeway, If you thought about, man, wouldn't you love to just, hey, Jesus said, now you're guilty under the statute of don't murder. It's not what you've done anymore. In the New Testament, it's not what you do. It's what you think about doing and thought you could get away with not anybody knowing. Here, the spirit of the law remains today. Jesus said over and over again, don't abandon the law. Recognize that God has stepped it up. His expectations are greater now, not less, because of grace. 
Don't play this game of, well, God no longer expects the first fruits. You're crazy. And here's, boy, God knowing how we're wired, says this. If you do what I've commanded you to do as the starting point, you'll be blessed. And in the same passage, Malachi 3, if you're not blessed, you are cursed. To put it in hydrological terms, blessed says we're getting um, sufficient rainfall to make sure that fires don't happen and crops are delivered and everything's good. And uh, man, the, the ecosystem works Without the blessing, you're in a spiritual drought. Have you ever felt like you were in a spiritual drought? God says it's your action in tithing puts you into the receiving of God's blessing. And here's what happens. When you say, I'll wait and see if I have anything at the end and then I'll give. No, God says give from the beginning because that's done by faith. And when you do that, You'll be blessed. What does that mean? You'll have leftovers. Here's the phenomenon. People who don't tithe have overdraft accounts. People who do tithe have savings accounts. Explain that to me. I have one explanation. It's God. Now, it doesn't end there. Let me show you where you go from there. From stressed to blessed to stretched. What does that mean? Once you discover the blessing of God that comes from your obedience, all of a sudden, you're looking for ways to give more. And giving more is what God calls an offering. We often fall into the Bible talk at offering time when we say we're going to receive our tithes and offerings. Let me say to you, if you've never hit the tithe barrier, which is in fact a, uh, a threshold, not a barrier. If you've never hit the level of tithing, you've never given an offering. Tithes are required, offerings are optional. A couple nights ago when we uh, ate out, I got a bill from the server. How dare she? I got a bill. And it gave the amount that the restaurant expected to receive, and then it had a line for a tip. And assuming that I was a recent graduate of public education and didn't know how to do math, it gave me various options in terms of how much that tip could be. If I had said, I'm going to leave a tip, but I'm not going to pay the bill, um, they wouldn't have come to get me because it wasn't over $1,000. But, um, but I would have been breaking the law, wouldn't I? Breaking the law. Didn't matter how generous I wanted to be with my waiter or waitress, I would have been breaking the law because I hadn't paid the minimums that the restaurant expected. Friends, j- just get this. The tithe is the, p- the amount that God expects. Your offering is what you want to give beyond that. And you know what? When you begin moving into that space, what you discover is the joy of giving is greater than the cost to be in the club. The more you give, the more blessed you are, which allows you to give more, 
which unleashes something that will never be unleashed in any other way. Now, get this. Tithing is a matter of obedience. Offering is a matter of generosity. May I be very clear? We're talking about generosity today. If you're not tithing, you cannot be generous. Generous is the over and above. Don't, there, there's no reward. There's no commendation. There's no blue, blue ribbon for giving at the minimums. God gives affirmation when we give beyond the minimums. And I love the fact that we're in a church that gives beyond the minimums. Let me give you one example. One of the reasons why I can't go anywhere but Calvary Church. This is a church, and you've heard it said, in fact, it may have gone over your head as um, not meaningful, but let me make it very meaningful. Calvary Church gives 30% of the money put into its hands to missions. Some of it goes local. The majority of it goes to the world. I know that when people are looking for a new church, they're asking, well, what are the children's programs and what's their style of worship? And do the people who speak on Sunday wear all black? I mean, you know, stuff that, are, that is so um, critically important to choose the right church. For me, to be in the right church means I'm going to be in a church that exercises generosity. If you were scanning the options in this community and asked, how many of those churches give 30% of their income to missions? You'll end up here. Hey, there are other churches with much better campuses that look like Disneyland uh, without ears. I thought that was a good line. Doesn't go anywhere. There are other places where uh, there's more razzmatazz going on on the weekends, and boy, it feels like you got in on a sort of a, a, a great um, experience. Well, that's great. I want to be a part of a congregation that lives out the heart of God. Calvary lives out the heart of God. John, writing in 1 John 3, says, If anyone has material possessions and sees a brother or sister in need but has no pity on them, how can the love of God be in that person? Dear children, let us not love with words or speech, but with actions and in truth. You know what God's looking for? He's looking for people who believe Him and not the God of this world whose behavior in the only thing that you do that can be measured. Ah, you pray more. You believe more deeply. I don't buy it. Why? Because God says, here's one test I have for your heart. Show me what you do with the money I put in your hands. The lifestyle of generosity, how do you live like you're rich? Paul wrote to his young protege, Timothy, these words, command those who are rich in this present world. Let me stop right there. The rich are not the people who are going to pay for new government programs. When God says the rich in this present world, he's talking about American Christians in 2021. 
in God's world, which encompasses seven continents and 7.5 billion plus people, you are among the rich in his family. Deal with it. Here's the command. Don't be arrogant. Don't put your hope in money. It's uncertain. Put your hope in God. He provides us with everything for our enjoyment. Command them to do good, to be rich in good deeds, and to be generous and willing to share. In this way, they'll lay up treasure for themselves as a firm foundation for the coming age so that they may take hold of the life that is truly life. Friend, hear me. You're not really living until you are living generosity. You have not cracked the code for the best you can have in this fallen world on the way to eternity. You have not cracked the code to experience that until you step across the threshold into generosity. I've known Francis Chan for a bunch of years. We've been friendly. We haven't been friends only because of distance. We met and spent some time together when he was still in San Francisco. He's now in Asia and harder to get to. But if you think that you have to be um, among the mega wealthy to be living this message, let me ask you to listen to Francis' story about him and Lisa and their experience with generosity. You know, I grew up in a church that said, you know, you give 10%. Period. So that's the goal. That's if you get there, you're great, you're godly. Um, so I did that. And I did it faithfully. And sometimes I would give a little bit more if I felt guilty in a sermon. And, um, but then as I began to study the scriptures more, I saw uh, I think I'm supposed to do more than that. And um, so I started giving a little bit more. And the Lord just kept taking care of us. Um, but then the real change took place when I went to Africa the first time and, and I felt something for the people and I loved the people. And it wasn't giving out of guilt, it wasn't giving out of anything more than want and love. It's like, wow, I would much rather build them a high school than buy a new truck. You know, like that would give me much more joy because these are friends of mine now. And so that's when things started to change. And then when I look at it biblically, I go, yeah, and I think that's right. I don't think it's just God wants me to give for his glory, absolutely everything for his glory. But I, I don't see him detaching our human affections or even supernatural affections for people from our giving. I think he wants that. And I think that's the whole love piece. And that's when we just, I came home from Africa and said, uh, you know, honey, let's, let's just see how much we can give away. Let's just figure it out. Let's start selling things. Let's, let's go nuts on this um, because I fall in love with these people. And as we started doing that and giving more and more, the Lord just blessed us more and more. Um, I mean, crazy things where I would sense like God wanting me to give $50,000, you know, the next year. And I think, well, that's about what I make, <laughs> you know, <laughs> like, how do you just give away? It's like, okay, Lord, help me. I want to do that then. 
and we were able to do it, you know, and then I was like, wow, but I think the Lord wants me to give 100000 next year. It's like, we didn't even make that, and it's just these crazy things. It's like, okay, let's just go for it, see what happens, and sure enough, we're able to do it, and then I was like, oh, no. I really think the Lord wants us to give a million dollars next year. And it's just like, wait, okay, now it's being, now we're getting silly here. Okay, this is just stupid. You know, you're talking about a guy that was making 36 grand a year and within a couple years really believing God saying, I want you to give away a million. And you just go, okay, God, you can do anything. And sure enough, you know, I mean, this is just stupid. This is just ridiculous. Anyone that would follow and look at my life and, and see what God said and then see the results and go, eh, it's just coincidence. It, it's just ridiculous. Um, so God has always blessed when I've given and the more faith and the, I, I'm just getting more and more enjoyment out of it. Um, so I just do it more and more. And, and I'm not saying I can't be tempted um, by that because I can be tempted in any area. And so knowing that, what we did was we, we gave over the rights of Crazy Love to a, a charity, a charitable gift fund. So this way I knew I can't even touch it if I wanted to, just in case I change my mind later and get greedy and want to, you know, it was like, let's just hand it over so once I sign it, I don't have to be tempted by it, and yet we have control over it to give it to anyone we want, which is an absolute blast. Or any charity one, we can't just write a check to my mom. Um, it uh, has to go to a charity charity so it's just it's a blast to just go oh they need a hospital there no way you know it's just so fun it's just so fun i'll tell him you clapped i spent the first decade and a half of my adult life in the marketplace but felt the call of God in my life about 37 years ago to step from for-profit to non-profit and been in that space ever since in terms of what I do for a living. God's been faithful and we've been faithful and giving has always been part of our lives and um, I believe that God's blessed us because of that. 17 years ago, um, Paul Eshelman asked me to come to a weekend event in Colorado for donors and prospective donors to the Jesus film. And I was the outside speaker for the weekend, encouraging people to generosity. And they put this bold challenge in front of the 200 people that were in the room there. Would they, could they believe God to give a million dollars to the kingdom between that weekend in Colorado and the time they died? And that's what we were calling people to imagine and commit. And I was there and listening and, frankly, envious. Gosh, in my private conversation with God, I was saying, I'm here encouraging people to do what I used to wish I could do in business, but then I left business and went into ministry, can't do that anymore, and I became envious of my friends that were in business. And then God sort of gave me the heads up that where I got my paycheck didn't establish any boundaries in my life. The boundaries in my life were based on how much I could believe Him for. That weekend, it was just between me and God. I said, God, 
I'm in. If, if you'd allowed that, I'm in. Now, listen, I've been in a ministry paycheck world for the last 37 years, and that's not a world where you get stock options. <laughs> um, there are no big bonuses based on an IPO. I mean, there just isn't that. You get paid for ministry, and, and that's as it should be. But not long after that weekend in Keystone, um, I began to dip my toe in partnering with some friends in business who had the kingdom mindset about how they lived and what they were about. And I dipped my toe into a space. Francis, when he started writing books, it wasn't part of his ministry responsibility. It was optional. I started getting involved in some things that were optional. Let me tell you about the faithfulness of God. We're starting on our third million into the kingdom from Keystone to now. Let me say to you that it, whatever barrier think you think you have in terms of why this wouldn't work for you, you are listening to the God of this world. His name tag says mammon, but his real 23 and me is Lucifer, Satan, opponent of God, he wants you to believe that it won't work in your life. Let me say to you, it works in every life if you're simply willing to step up and say, God, I will believe in the face of the enemy saying it won't work for you. Really? God can be God for Francis Chan or for Shank, but he can't be God for you. <laughs> He's waiting for you to invite him to be God. Only one place in the Bible where God says, test me, and it was there in Malachi 3. If you don't believe it, test me, God says, and I'll open the windows of heaven. Uh, the next moment, I just want you to humor me. There there are some of these in the pew rack in front of all of you who are alive. You see these envelopes? Pull one out, will you? Just pull it out. You're going to put it back in a moment. I'm not going to put you, ask you to put anything in it. Just take it out. Flow with me here, will you? I'm already over time. Any time added from your slowness, I'm going to put on you. I'm not going to be responsible for it. You got this? Okay. Bow your head with me. God, whenever your truth is declared, you expect us to respond. Last Sunday night in Anaheim Stadium, your truth was declared. And 6,000 people came down on the field to say, I want Jesus. Your truth calls for response. Friends, heads bowed, eyes closed. I'm just going to ask it in the next moment. I'm going to ask, are you ready to make a commitment to God to say, I'm going to step up in obedience. I'm going to step up to tithing. The second question I'm going to ask you is if you're a tither already, are you prepared to say, God, I want to stretch and I want to step up to giving beyond the tithe. I'm not going to be satisfied with just 10% off the top. I want to go for more and stretch and see where you are willing to take me. Heads bowed, eyes closed, don't cheat. Let me ask you, if you're ready to say, 
I have not been faithfully, consistently a 10% off the top person, but I, based on this warning, I think God's calling me to that. Would you wave the envelope at me? Thanks. And if you're a person who says, boy, am I glad I'm a tither, I want to ask you a question. Are you ready to stretch? Are you ready to make generosity the true measure of your spiritual health? Hey, if today your stretch into generosity has been amplified because of the Word of God, would you wave your envelope at me? God, uh, these are not mere actions by mortals. These are affirmations by your sons and daughters that we believe you can be trusted. And what we do in response to your truth is the measure of our resemblance to our almighty heavenly Father. God, uh, Calvary Church is a generous church. I pray that you would make us generous people. I, I pray that you would see in us people you can trust to put in our hands the resources that you would like for us to manage on your behalf that um, we would be living carefully and frugally and giving generously because we model our behavior after the God so, who so loved the world that he gave. We want to be like you. I pray in Jesus' name. Amen.